Hey everyone, welcome to Ravenstead Podcast. This is Dave and Nancy and Lauren. So anyway, we're here, uh, we'd like to talk about our farm, Ravenstead. We've got a market farm that we're trying to build. We've got a lot of different facets to what we do here at Ravenstead. Um, we've built a forge, we have a wood shop, and we have the farm outside. And then hopefully over the next few years, we'll be adding other things to what we do here. We're hoping maybe chickens, or at least I'm hoping maybe chickens. Me too. Yes, definitely yeah. you two are hoping chickens. So Lauren's really into the live, livestock aspect of Ravenstead, so we're looking forward to that. She's got a, uh, a pretty good start, which is really helpful to the, to the market gardens that we're creating. Lauren, what have you been doing? Well, I have been saving earthworms who tend to wander onto the sidewalk and then, well... Yeah, what's up out. with that? I don't know. They just they, seem to like go across there, and then they get all hot, and then... Right. They turn themselves into little earthworm french fries. Yeah. <laughs> really disgusting. Gross. That's why we need chickens, because the chickens can eat the old earthworm. Gross. But I've been um, taking them off the sidewalk, and then getting them wet, and then just kind of letting them eat dirt and... And you built a like a hospital for them, right? Yes, I did. And then I released them back into the garden. So we were talking about diagnosis, treatment plans, and prognosis. So a diagnosis is what you think is wrong with the earthworm. Your treatment plan is what to do to treat that. And then your prognosis is what you think the outcome is going to be. So when you diagnose an earthworm, what are you looking at? Well, usually it's mostly that they've kind of deflated a little bit. <laughs> Lost volume. Because <laughs> yes. they they're dehydrated, they're hungry, and they're really, really hot. We actually, we got to watch an earthworm actually drink It was so water. cool. No way. Yeah. It was so cool. That's so awesome. she, had, she had these earthworms up on a stepladder, and the, the paint the tray, paint yeah, the paint tray of the ladder is like, um, it's like a grid. And the little earthworm's head was kind of just, or I guess it was his head. I guess they don't drink from their butt. Anyway, <laughs> his head was kind of hanging over the little edge of one of those indentations and Lauren filled it with water and we watched as the earthworm like dipped his head in there and the water just disappeared. That's it was awesome. so cool. Yeah, it was amazing. I also got them little like plates of dirt because I guess they just process the minerals they need out of the dirt when they right. eat it. But I came back to check on them about half an hour later and a lot of them had eaten so much of the dirt. It was crazy. That's great. So we hadn't seen anything come out the back end, um, <laughs> which are referred to as castings. We're really going to get into earthworms. We're going to build an earthworm. What do you call those? Farm. Farm. Thank you. Sure. A worm farm. A worm farm. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why there's Let's three call of ours us. A hotel. Between, yeah, a hotel. Between, <laughs> between the three of us, we can probably come up with a complete concept, <laughs> which is great. We really feed off each other. It's kind of. I don't know if it's. Symbiotic or parasitic, whatever. <laughs> but we're going to build a uh, worm farm. <clears throat> um, so I've been looking at these videos of worm farms, and a lot of people use a multi-tiered system where you have plastic bins, like storage bins. You have a bottom bin that collects the um, fertilized water or fertilized tea is it like Ew, yeah, it's, really yeah. no, it's tea? really gross yeah, it's, it's black it's disgusting, it's disgusting. Yeah. the second one is where you start your worms 
and you feed them. And as they er, as they er, <laughs> as they eat the uh, biomatter in the soil, they poop out the waste, and that's the castings. The castings is what you want for your organic gardening. It's perfect fertilizer. And once they have consumed everything in that middle tier, they move up through holes in the top tier into new soil. So you're constantly rotating these two bins over top of the moisture collecting bin. So as the worms deplete the soil in the second one, they move up to the top one, then you move the top one to the middle one. You dump out the castings of the second one, get any earthworms that are left behind, and then that one becomes the top tray with new soil. So we're gonna be, you're constantly adding soil to the system, but you're also gaining these high nutrient castings in the second one, and then this liquid fertilizer in the bottom one. Are there holes in the tubs? Is that how they move from the middle one to the top? Right, yeah. They dig their way up through the holes. So if you've ever uh, like flipped something over where a board has been against the ground or a bucket has been against the ground, a lot of times you'll see the earthworms right on the surface. So they tend to migrate upwards um, towards hard packed surfaces and especially if they're running out of nutrients, they'll actually migrate up. So Lauren's gonna be in charge of the worm farm for sure. I actually heard that that's why they crawl onto the sidewalks when there's rain because they are up at the top levels and they get flooded out. So they crawl onto dry surfaces and then Oops. That's the part I don't understand. If they just can't find their way back or if they're trying to dry out and then they get too dried out. But apparently that's why they crawl onto the sidewalks is to get out of the flood zone. That's I, sad. I think a lot of it might also be that they're trying to get somewhere else and they just seem to wander onto the path and then they'll just follow it all the way down and then they'll just slowly get hotter and hotter and hotter until they have to stop and they never think to just turn off and walk back into the grass. They took the left at Albuquerque. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So that's that's one facet of something that we're looking to improve here at Ravenstead. Well, not necessarily improve, but establish here on our farm is cultivating composts and building these systems where we can reclaim rainwater, we can use all of our waste uh, except human poo. (laughs) We're not reusing that. Or, Or the cats. Yeah, or the cats. Cat poo, cat litter is really not good for composting. I found that out as well. Um, it's just far too acidic, too many too many bad chemicals in there left over. So anyway, we're going to have a lot of composting going on. We're going to have a worm farm. Uh, and we're hoping maybe next year to integrate chickens into our farm. And we'll see how that goes. We have a ton of predators here, so that's going to take some forethought. We're going to have to build a really secure coop and some covered areas for the chickens to to be. I want them to free range to an extent because I want them in the fields. I want them eating the tomato hornworms. I want them out there picking all those bad beetles off. They're also really good at scratching up the soil and processing. You can actually turn them loose on a compost pile and they'll actually help you turn the compost and break stuff down. And I also want the chicken poop. Yeah, chicken but poop's gonna be good for work. We know smells. what the fox says here, because we've actually heard the. We have big foxes. Yes, in the is, woods behind our house. That yeah. could be a problem. We have fox. Yeah. We have raccoons. We have hawks, owls. We yeah. have semi-feral cats in the area. 
possibly dogs coming through here. People hunt around here all the time, so we're just it's gonna it's probably gonna be some tragedy, but also some triumph in there too. But our intention with the chickens is to gain the peripheral benefits of having them on the farm. But our main focus is going to be uh, collecting and selling eggs. Yes, and my opinion is that chickens are miniature dinosaurs. <laughs> so <laughs> well, they are pretty much. They are. They look like it. They act like it. Could you imagine a giant chicken? Oh, no, they I would don't eat want, you. I don't want a giant. They would definitely eat. You. They would eat you. I'd be scared. And not feel badly about it. No, definitely would not feel badly about it. I don't mind chickens, and I think it's going to be really great to have chickens. I just don't really like them that much. They're cool creatures. They lay eggs. They're going to help us with our farm. It's fine. I'll feed them. I thought you two liked them. I had bad childhood chicken experiences. Me too. (laughs) I've been chased by a white chicken before. Looked at me sideways. We won't get any mean chickens then. Yeah, let's not. We'll just pick them up. Stroke them and call yes. them George. <laughs> yes. We can raise our chickens to be friendly. Yeah. And you can do that to an extent. I'm still educating myself about chickens and different chicken breeds, but there are certain breeds that are more receptive to being handled. They'll actually grow. If you, if you raise them from chicks with a lot of human contact, then they're far more likely to integrate into your family better. I'm not saying we're going to let them sleep in our bed. But... <laughs> The cats would love that. Yeah, the cats. We have two indoor cats, Riley and Jack, and they would just love to have chickens in the house. Yeah, that would... That would be fun for like an hour. Yeah. I think Jack would actually probably hide. Yeah, he would. And the chickens would beat them up. He's a big baby. He is a big baby. I'm I'm pretty sure they actually traded bodies, because Jack is this very big tiger looking cat but he has this tiny little meow and he's afraid of pretty much everything and then we have riley who's this tiny little gray kitten she looks like a kitten but she's almost two now right but she's just so small but then she has this really deep meow yeah, she, she wants to kill everything ever <laughs> she sounds like some kind of jungle panther i know it's crazy jack sounds like a little girl no offense no offense yeah. <laughs> a little squeaky toy anyway so we got a lot going on here at Ravenstead. Um, right now, our main focus, uh, and I hate to say we're really far behind, uh, but we're establishing our farm. So we're, we're building beds, establishing growing areas, putting up fencing, uh, and doing planting. It's just a big rush this spring, so we got a lot going on. Hopefully we'll be able to hit our first markets this later this uh, spring or early summer and actually turn a profit. There are a lot of expenses that we'll incur buying fencing and equipment and things like that. But we're pretty lucky we have a tractor that we're able to use and a really great rear time tiller. So I'm able to establish these beds pretty quickly. Getting ready to buy a drop seeder, which will help us quite a bit too. We do have some beautiful flowers growing already. So that's nice. We have irises everywhere and our snowball bush is blooming right now. And we have a rose bush that's blooming. So we've, we've got some beauty already on the farm, and that makes it really nice to be outside and walking around. I have to admit, I'm really excited about creating more growing space because right now it takes me about four hours to cut grass once a week. And that's just four hours of gently being kicked in the rear end by riding <laughs> mower. Um, it's just if you've ever long. been gently kicked for four hours in a row, it's... It's not too gentle by the end. 
So I'm looking forward to having less grass to cut and more growing space. I know I'm, it's kind of a trade-off. I'm probably going to be pining for grass cutting by the end of the summer, having to deal with weeds and things like that. But I don't know. I just have a real chip on my shoulder about grass cutting. I did that for like seven years professionally with my landscaping company, and I'm over cutting grass. I really don't want to do that anymore. And we have so many sticks to pick up. Yeah. Everywhere. Yeah. yeah. We got some uh, pecan trees in the yard, uh, and they drop sticks all the time. So there's there's just so much work to do around here. The three of us are going to be really really busy. What are we going to do uh, livestock wise, Lauren? After chickens, what do you think should be next? I think probably goats, because they can help us around the area. Not a magic and... pony, you don't. <laughs> no, a magic pony would be. Oh, okay. This, that... Well, are so, we talking realistically or so in Lauren's do, head? We're going to do earthworms, <laughs> chickens, magic ponies, then goats. Yes. Okay, got yes. it. Cool. Yeah, so goats, yeah, would be very uh, beneficial around the property. Um, so that's going to require quite a bit of fencing. We do live on a busy highway. It's very rural. The property is very rural. It's all zoned agricultural, which is great. And the county we live in is... It's, very interested in small businesses and small farms so we've got those advantages but we do live on a very busy pretty much um, the only double two-lane highway <laughs> yeah it's very busy highway so our topmost concern before we bring livestock in here is of course their health and safety right so with goats we've got to have a lot of fencing and tall fencing very secure fencing we also have to have a lot of fencing around our gardens because we have so many rabbits and so many groundhogs. It's true. Our <laughs> property is surrounded by really thick hedgerows. And uh, we've been slowly but surely kind of beating back the wilderness. But uh, it's prime habitat for uh, prey and predators alike. That could so, probably be a whole additional podcast. Yes, yes. We'll, we'll definitely talk more about uh, dealing with critters. Things Matter of fact, I've got a shed in the yard that uh, the groundhogs have dug burrows in, and I've noticed that the shed is starting to shift. So I'm actually <laughs> going to have to to jack the shed up and block that. So we can we'll probably talk about that in another podcast. We might even do a video of that project. But oh. I've got to get that shed up. Clear out the groundhogs, um, grade underneath that shed. I might even end up having to pour concrete down into the burrows just to firm everything up. So we'll see. That'll be an interesting project. We do have an outdoor cat that we adopted, but she does absolutely nothing to scare off the groundhogs or the rabbits. Which she, is not entirely her fault because the groundhogs are bigger than she is. Yes. Yeah, they are pretty big. She tends to like to focus her hunting abilities on toads. And she thinks she can get birds. She's not very good at that. And squirrels. She's really good at getting squirrels. Oh, yes. yes. Which we're happy about that part. Yeah, our our yard is completely perforated with moles. It's moles and bowls. It's really, really bad, actually. Hopefully it won't be too problematic as we start to establish these growing areas, but we'll have to see. Uh, Mm -hmm. It'll be interesting to see how we deal with all these different uh, problems with the farm. I hope you guys will continue to listen to the podcast. Keep up with us. Uh, you know, we're just getting started, so we'd love to hear from people. You can follow us on Facebook at Ravenstead. You can also follow us online at ravenstead.com and check out our blog. 
and also on YouTube. I'll put some put some links in there and uh, drop us a line. We'd love to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments or suggestions, uh, they're more than welcome. This is Dave and Nancy and Lauren at Ravenstead, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.